Amen. And you can be seated. Let's. We're finishing up tonight. It's been eight weeks. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Had a couple of breaks, a couple of uh, interruptions, but we're finishing tonight. And it's good to see all of you here. Now, one thing I want to tell you, I have several things I want to go over tonight since we are finishing, but one of them is um, if you completed at least six of the eight weeks, then your certificate is going to be ready August 1st, next Wednesday. If, for those of you that completed six to eight weeks, we've got the list going around, everybody's checking their names and all of that. So you will pick up your certificates in the North Lobby right out here. And um, that's the first thing I want to say, get that out of the way, so I don't have to cover so much at the end. But tonight, we're going to talk about strongholds. And this is really, really important because strongholds often have or play a, a significant role in what people experience physically. And so let's, uh, let's look at this whole issue of strongholds and healing. Now, this is one of my favorite passages. A lot of people don't understand it, but let's read it together because this is a good one. Ready? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What a powerful passage. Wow. Now, the Greek words that Paul employs here are very important. And I'm going to go over a few of them with you because words matter. And there were some dynamite loaded words in that passage we just read. So let's look at uh, some of them. Stronghold. I like to say, what's a stronghold? It's whatever holds you other than Jesus Christ. A stronghold is anything that holds you, chains you, binds you other than Jesus Christ. Can a Christian have a stronghold? You bet. Matter of fact, that's part of the problem. A lot of Christians have strongholds. So, the Greek word means a fortress, and I think that's a great picture. Picture those old medieval castles. Stronghold can literally mean castle in the mind. A fortress, a castle, a prison. And what is it literally? That's metaphorically. That's the picture you have. The, the, the castle, that dark, foreboding, towering castle. And the moat is pulled up. And gators are swimming around it. If you try to get to it. And it's ominous. It's a stronghold. Now, literally, what is a stronghold? It's a false argument that you have believed. A lie that has been believed resulting in action. You are acting your life out on a lie. That is, there's a part of your life, and, and here's the deal, a lot of you, a big portion of you can be free, but there's that one thing. There's that one area. And something holds you, and it's got you. And, 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 and that's your area of battle. You know, the Bible says, that we ought to pray that God delivers from besetting sins. Besetting sins and the weights that so easily uh, entangle us and slow us down. Um, it's, it's, an, it's a lie that we believe 
And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. And this false thought holds us in prison. Can, you can believe it about you. You can believe that you can't be free. You can believe something wrong about God. Whatever it is, it's a lie that the enemy has planted, and that lie is the castle. That lie is the stronghold. Now hold that thought, castle, there it is, picture it. Let's talk about imaginations. It's a Greek word meaning to reckon, logismos. We get logic from that Greek word, logismos, to reckon. A reckoning, it means a reckoning or a calculation or a consideration or a reflection, a reflection. Imaginings refers to reasoning that reflects somebody's values and leads them to conclusions. Okay? So it's your value system. Very important that our values come from the Word of God and not the world. Okay? Our values. The Bible's a book of values, among other things. It's a book of values. And our values need to come from God's Word. So that when we reason, when we logic through something, we are doing it based on God's values and not what the world values or not what the world teaches us about values. And let me tell you, I, that culture out there, believe me, is pounding on your mind with its values. And that's why every day you've got to be in the Word of God. Be not conformed to this world's, can I just put something in there? Be not conformed to this world's values, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove then what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Look at the, the progression there. When your mind is being renewed by the Word of God, you are able to think your way, reason your way to God's good and perfect will. In other words, you know it when you see it because your values are from Him and not the world. But as long as you're being conform to this world's values, it muddies your ability to find the will of God. Okay? Now, high thing. That's the next one. High thing. That is a Greek, hoopsama. That's the Greek word, hoopsama. I think of basketball when I say that. Hoopsama. Anyway, it means an elevated place or thing. Remember in the Old Testament where we're always reading, especially when you go through the Judges and the Chronicles and Samuel and the Kings. You remember you're always hearing the, the people of God obeyed God except they never removed the high places. They would get all kinds of things right, but they would not finally and ultimately remove the high places. What were those high places where they sacrificed to idols? So even though they got a lot of things right, there were those high places. Here, it reminds me of that high thing. It's an elevated place or thing. It's what you elevate in your mind. Another Bible version says a lofty opinion. The New King James Version says every high opinion. Every lofty thing. The NIV says every pretension. Now, here's the context. High things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. This is talking about value systems. This is talking about philosophies. 
Colossians 2.8 says, don't be spoiled by worldly philosophies. The actual Greek word there is, don't be taken captive by worldly philosophies. Because those are high things, thought systems, that exalt themselves against you knowing God. You ever seen somebody leave church and go off to college? They leave church, raising their hands, worshiping God, hallelujah, this and that, witnessing to everything that moves, and you see them a year later after they've been at college, and their eyes are flat, and their countenance is somber, and something has happened to them, what is it? They went and they got indoctrinated in high things, philosophical thought systems that stood against the teaching of the Word of God. And they create strongholds so that your walk with God and your belief in God and your fruit bearing in the Spirit is hindered by these high things, these that exalt themselves, promote themselves, stand against God's will for your life. That's why you've, every day you've got to get into the Word of the Lord and let the Word of the Lord give you your values, your worldview, the way you view God, the way you view people, the way you view yourself the way you view heaven and hell and demons and angels, everything. It needs to be from the scriptures and have your mind renewed. Renewing of the mind is he erases and he replaces. The word of God erases and it replaces. It erases those old ways of thinking and replaces them with new ways of thinking. And what is the Bible? It's a book full of God thoughts. You're really just putting God's thoughts into your thoughts. So every lofty thing, every pretension, is talking about thoughts and philosophies that promote themselves over the clear teaching of the Word of God. Now, what about knowledge? Gnosis is the word, and it means you, you come to know something experientially. Knowledge gleaned from firsthand personal experience. That's the knowledge he's talking about. So these lofty things that can get into your head, and we've been talking about them on the weekends, and let me tell you, it's caused no small stir. These things we've been talking about on the weekends. The myths that Christians believe. Why am I attacking those myths? Because they are high things that are exalting themselves against God's people having the knowledge of God. God's people coming to experientially know God. So we've got to pull them down all the time. Our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to doing what with those strongholds? Pulling them down. You know what pulls them down? Truth. T-R-U-T-H. Truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth is what pulls down those lying strongholds. And that truth needs to go deep and wide into your soul. I mean, all the time, every single day. Such is the battle that we're in. Now, bringing every thought into captivity of Christ. The word for thought, uh, thought there, noema, noema. A thought, a purpose, a design, a concept of the mind. The understanding. Uh, especially the mind's final output. The result of thinking. So we could say the conclusions we come to. Why does this matter? Because what you think is what you're going to do. You do according to the way you think. See? 
actions follow your thoughts. So that's why it's so important we have God thoughts. Because what we conclude, look at the last word up there, conclusions. What we conclude is going to decide the way we live. What we conclude about morals, what we conclude about God, what we conclude about church, what we conclude about people, all of that is going to result in how we finally act. See, if you look at people as just junk, this is one of the great uh, destructive aspects of abortion. Abortion cheapens life. And we who have always been pro-life from way back always said, if you okay abortion in a culture, euthanasia, killing old people, is, is next in line. And everybody poo-pooed that and said, no, 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 America will never get there. Hey, we're there. We're there. We're, we're, we're seriously discussing when and where we can just pull the plug on somebody and say, all right, you can, you can commit suicide, that's fine, and we'll help you do it, and that's okay. Because, see, the way you view life is the way you're going to treat people. And so if you see people as a creation of God, you treat, uh, cre- uh, treat them with high value. But if you believe that they are just the results of happenstance and Darwinian evolution and they just happen to be spit onto the earth by some random process that had no mind and no design and no purpose and no thought, then that's the way you view people. Cheap, expendable, and it turns the world into a jungle and not a civilization. So it matters what we think. Can you say that with me? It matters what we think. Bringing every thought captive. Here's another great word. Captive means a prisoner. How, would you, how many of you would like to take your strongholds captive instead of them captivating you? Notice what the Word of God is saying here. You're going to take strongholds captive. Instead of them taking you captive, you bring every thought captive that is exalting itself against you experientially coming to know God. You take it captive. I love that. It's a word that is used in the Bible to express taking somebody captive in war. Because that's what we're in. We're in a war. And, and they're either going to take you captive or you're going to take them captive. Now, let's read this passage out of a few other versions. Now that we've seen these different words, starting with the message paraphrase, let me just read it to you. The world is unprincipled. Amen? It's dog-eat-dog out there. Amen? I'm reading from the message now for our radio listeners. Uh, It goes on. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Here's another version. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Ooh, the church sounds powerful to me. 
Are you hearing how powerful the church is here? That if we really get our act together and go out there with the Word of God, we literally demolish the lying strongholds that are destroying the culture? Come on, church, wake up. Let the church be the church. Amen. The, the, the church needs to be like our little chihuahua. Our little chihuahua thinks it's a German shepherd. Really does. And, and you know, you'll have some, you know, I don't know, a UPS guy come to the door, and our little chihuahua will lunge and attack and bark and yap. Doesn't try to bite him, but puts on this huge show. When this guy could send that chihuahua a hundred yards like a football. But the chihuahua thinks it's huge. Well, we're not just thinking that we're huge. Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's what the Bible says. Say it with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now it's not just telling us here in 2 Corinthians 10, four to five, that we can demolish strongholds in our own life. It's telling us that when we get our act together and go out there with the word of the Lord on our lips and the anointing of God on our life, that we demolish the strongholds that are destroying our culture. These strategic weapons we use are not material or aligned with this world's system. Instead, we use God's strategies and tools to demolish strongholds by actively bringing each and every thought into a place of submission to alignment with Christ. We tear down fortresses made up of mental constructs and calculations rooted in pride and raised up against that which God knows to be true. Now let's look at the components of a stronghold. How does a stronghold begin? How many of you can say, I've, I've had a stronghold in my life. The rest of you, I sure want to meet you. Because I've had several strongholds I've had to fight in my life through the years. And I think everybody's at least got one stronghold. Let me try that again. Maybe you have a stronghold of deception and don't even know you've had a stronghold. <laughs> I'm going to try it again. How many of you have ever battled a stronghold? I mean, something that had you and you had to say, Lord Jesus, help me or I'll never be free. Come on, let me see your hands. All right. I just, there, I, now I know you're human beings and not aliens from another planet. Now, how did the strongholds we have battled happen? How do they begin? All right, watch this. They begin with an event. They begin with an event. Of course, Mankind, the event, was the fall in the Garden of Eden. But a stronghold begins with an event. The devil came to Eve and said, Did God really say that, Eve, that you shouldn't eat of that tree? And he challenged the Word of God. He doesn't do anything different now. Nothing. He always does the same thing, same bag of tricks. When he comes at you and me, he always challenges the God, God's Word in our life. And he says, are you sure about that? Or didn't he really mean this? Or isn't it possible he meant that? He came to Eve and he said, are you sure God said that? I don't think God really said that, Eve. See, what God's really doing, Eve, is he's cheating you. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to have wisdom like him. First he attacked the word, then he attacked God's character. And that's what he does with us, especially when we experience a rough event. 
when you're in a trial and something has hurt you, that's when the enemy comes in. He doesn't fight fair. He fights nasty and dirty. The more you bleed, the more he likes it. He doesn't play by any rules. He has only a scorched earth mentality and methodology. Now, he says to Eve, are you sure about that? God really knows that if you ate of that tree, you'd be like him. He doesn't want you to have that. So he's holding back from you, Eve. Listen to that. Listen, he's cheating you. He's, he's taking the fun out of life. He's causing you to sit on the sidelines while everybody else is having fun, Eve. He, he's not out for your good. He's a killjoy. He's a party pooper. He's withholding from you. She believed two lies. He twisted the word, and then she believed his lie about the character of God and God's intentions towards her. Now, I'm going to ask you, does he do anything different with you and me? No, he does not, especially when we have a painful event that happens in our life. Now, she believed the lie, and she ate. And when she ate, she gave it to her husband. He ate, and we all fell with them because they were, he was, the head of the human race. So we inherited the fallen nature of Adam. Now, after the event and the lie comes the defense. How do we handle it? Adam and Eve handled it this way. They went into hiding. Before, it says that they walked with God in the cool of the garden. God would say, hey, let's go for a walk. They said, let's go for a walk. And they would go for a walk with God in the cool of the garden. Can you imagine that? They glowed in the dark. There was no sin in their life. Nothing had ever interrupted the flow of God in their life. Amazing. And yet when they fell, where did God, we hear God saying, where are you? Where are you? And he's been saying that to the human race ever since. Where are you? And we go into shame and hiding and blame. That's why some people will not come to a church that preaches the word because they're in hiding. That's why some people, when they see you coming, they run. It's not your deodorant or lack thereof. They know you're a Christian and they're in hiding. This is the condemnation that light came into the world and men, men love their darkness more than the light. And so when somebody that has light walks into a room full of dark people, they go into hiding. They push you out. Shame, hiding, and blame was their defense. And then here was the consequence. Sin passed on to the next generation. Now here's a little, a little um, anatomy of a stronghold, a little chart, a little diagram. And you'll notice that at the top, there's, there's four circles, four blue circles. At the top is event. There is an event. Somebody does something. Now let me get real tonight. Let's say you're abused. Let's say you're rejected. Let's say your parents go through a divorce. And somehow you pick up the message that it's because of you. I did that. My parents went through it, and I thought for sure that I had had something to do with it. I was convinced of it. It was a lie. But see, the event, the pain, when we're in pain, when we're hurt in this world, that's when the enemy comes in with a lie to try to plant a stronghold. That's when it happens. So you can be abused. You can be rejected. You can be betrayed. 
You can be wronged in a relationship. You can realize, you can realize that somebody has, has cheated on you, wronged you, and you're wounded. And right then the enemy comes in and says, you're not attractive, you're not desirable, you're, you're not worthy, nobody loves you, nobody will ever love you. Here comes the lies. It's all because of you. If you had only done this or that or the other, then that would not have happened. It's all your fault. It's because essentially and basically and fundamentally, you're not likable or lovable. And it's going to be this way with you and relationships the rest of your life. Because after all, this isn't the first one, right? It's the second one and the third one. And something must be wrong with you. And here comes the lie. And it's planted in your head so that you will believe it and act on it and live by it. And there you've got a castle built now in your mind. So there is first the, the event and then there's the lie and then here's your defense. You start living certain ways and I'm going to show you these in just a minute and it finally ends up in a consequence. Let's look at this. Strongholds begin with a negative event, hurts and trauma. What I experience, the resulting inner wound. Or they can originate through generational inheritance, genetic or spiritual or your family culture. And they may also begin with a lie. Lies I choose, lies I inherit and embrace. Okay? The meaning I assign to that event. Now that's the important thing. You go through a painful event and what meaning do you assign to it? Because you're going to have two things coming at you. The lies of the enemy and God's word. And the, the meaning you attach to your painful traumatic event matters greatly. But let's say you're betrayed. All right, here comes the enemy. It's like I was saying, it's because of you. You did this. You're not lovable. You're not likable. There's something about you. Relationships are never going to work. Here he comes, attacking you. Whereas God comes and says, I made you. I made you. And I'm going to bring something good out of this. And you are valuable. And you are precious. And, and it was not all your fault. And you are lovable because I love you. And you are wantable because I want you. And, and don't believe all those lies the enemy is trying to put in your head so that you will have a stronghold where every relationship you encounter after that, in the back of your head, you're already thinking it's going to fail. It's going to fail. I know it's going to fail because something's wrong with me. Whereas if you receive God's word, say, well, who knows? God may be about to bless me. God may be about to bless me with a brand new relationship and I'm not going to worry about this. And, and, I'm loved and I'm lovable because he loves me and has made me lovable and God don't make no junk. And so you, you, can have, you can take it one way or the other. Lies I believe about God. Oh, that's important. I can tell you there's people not in church because they believe lies about God. They believe that God is mean or that God is not fair or that God didn't protect them in a certain point in their life from maybe the painful event. They say, why didn't God protect me? Where was he? Why didn't he send an angel and stop that? Why didn't he warn me? And that's the meaning we attach to the painful event. It was God. He's not who I thought he was. 
once the initial event takes place, the next step is in the stronghold is a defense. Here's the defenses we, we, we take. Emotional insulation. Been hurt once, ain't never going to be hurt again. Never going to fall in love again. Never letting anybody near me again. I'm going to have, listen, I'm going to learn that Simon and Garfunkel tune from way back. I am a rock. I am an island. We say I'm going to be an island and there's no bridge from them to me. I'm isolated, I'm protected, I'm insulated, nobody's getting in, and I'm not getting out because I am never going to go through that heartbreak again. Does anybody hear me tonight? And what we do when we do that is we shut ourselves off from future blessing. You've got to be willing to be hurt if you're going to live. But here's another one, intellectualization. Here's where I tend to go. Excessive reasoning to avoid emotional pain. How about blame, deflecting? It's everybody else's fault. If they hadn't, and he hadn't, and she hadn't, and the church hadn't, and my family hadn't, and my ex hadn't. We put all the responsibility on others. I'm not okay, and it's your fault. Boy, those people are everywhere. I'm not okay, and it's your fault. Our whole culture's that way now. It's your fault. It's everybody else's fault. I don't own anything. Control. One way we defend pain is we become control freaks. Taking inappropriate responsibility for others. I will fix you so that I'll be okay. I don't know if you've ever been around a control freak. It is an unnerving experience. You can't move. You can't do anything right. They've got a grip on you. They've got their hand on you. You can't go out. You can't come in. You can't do anything without the control freak knowing what you're doing and having a hand in the decisions you make. There's only one person I know has that job, and his name is G-O-D. But we like to be God, don't we? But that's one of the ways that we handle inner pain to protect ourselves. It's a defense. You can't hurt me if I'm controlling you. Preemptive rejection. <laughs> this is somebody, I'm ditching you before you ditch me. I'm out of this before you say that to me. And you know what it becomes? A self-fulfilling prophecy. Because always in the back of our head, we're going, well, I know they're going to reject me. It's only a matter of time because that's the lie that I believe and that's the stronghold I've got. I know that all people are ever going to do is reject me. I have no chance in relationships. So I might as well get it over with before they do. It's quiet in here tonight. How about denial? Minimization, avoiding anxiety through refusal to acknowledge thoughts, feelings, desires, or facts. This is the ostrich with their head in a hole in the ground. And we don't admit to or recognize anything. We don't deal with anything. We deny it. Oh, I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. How you doing? Oh, blessed, favored, highly, this and that and the other. We're so glad you're blessed and favored, but I want to know the truth. I know theologically you're blessed and favored, but you're still a human being on the earth. So tell me the truth about you. Well, I can't confess that. That's not a good confession. Where do you get that? The Bible never tells you to be a liar. I don't see Paul going, I should never have said I left so-and-so in such and such a place sick. I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't a good confession.
Paul said, I left Trophimus in such and such a place sick, period. He told the truth. Tell the truth and then let God heal you. Amen, Pastor Jeff, preach it. Come on. <laughs> How about withholding trust? Oh, this is a big one. I did this too. Avoiding disappointment or rejection by refusing to be vulnerable to or dependent upon someone else. So I just withhold trust. I will never trust another man or another woman again. Isn't that what some people say? And they become hard as a rock. And they become mean. And they become miserable. I'm never trusting another pastor again. I'm never trusting another church again. I'm never trusting another romance again. <clears throat> Not me, buddy. Fool me once. Come on, finish it for me. Shame on me. Fool, no, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And that's the way a lot of people live. We're Clint Eastwood now, riding into the sunset alone on Trigger. No, that's the Lone Ranger. Trigger. Huh? Oh, that's Roy Rogers. Well, I'll tell you, you people know your TV shows. But we, this is what we do. And, and, and see, when you become this isolated, can't touch me, can't get to me person, you're ceasing to be like Jesus, who was continuously hurt but kept on loving. Catch that? He was continuously hurt, but he kept on loving. He was done dirty as dirty can be done. He kept on loving. He loved from the cross, all the way to the cross. Hung up for our hang-ups. Hung up on that tree for being a righteous man. And yet from the cross, he still loved them. So what does it mean to be Christ-like? Here's what it means. When you're hurt, you're strong enough to keep on loving. It's weakness when you say, never again. How about busyness? What are you doing? Oh, I'm working for the Lord. Well, I can't hardly see you. You're just a blur. You're here, there, and everywhere. Meetings every, every night of the week. What, what, what are you so busy for? Slow down. I am convinced some people are terrified of slowing down for what will rise in their minds and talk to them when they get quiet. There are some people, you can put them in jail and they will go insane. You know why? Because they can't run. They can't hide. They can't numb it. They can't escape it. They've got to face themselves and their thoughts. Busyness can be good if it's the Lord's busyness. But I'm telling you, sometimes we get so busy with the work of the Lord, we forget the Lord of the work, and we don't know how to get quiet before God. Be still, Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Anger. Oh, we live in an angry culture. We're getting anger, angrier all the time. We cover fear and pain by walking around mad at the world. Mad at everything. I'm just a mad, angry person. And that's the way I deal with my pain. Angry people who will just snap your head off at the drop of a hat. You know what they are? 
they're hurting people. And the way they deal with it is anger. Anger is pain expressed. Now, how about passive aggression? Behavior that communicates hostility through the inaction, through what is withheld. Now, acting out, attention-seeking, a wide range of behaviors designed to seek attention or affirmation. Here I am, look at me. Here I am, look at me. Everybody look at me. And how about medication? A wide range of behaviors designed to seek comfort and reduce pain. I am convinced, listen, it's, I don't drink. I will not drink. I just don't drink. I don't drink a drop in any situation, private or public. Now, let me tell you, I, I can't tell you you can't. The Bible doesn't say you can't. It's my choice. I like having a totally clear head all the time. I don't want to be numbed. And I can't tell you the Bible says you can't have a drink. Here's the question. Why do you want to drink? Well, I just, don't tell me you like spending 10 bucks on a green liquid that's got some ice in it and salt around the top for its taste. That's 10 bucks, dude. I can think of a lot of things. You want the buzz. Buzz. Well, I just, I'm, I'm just better with people when I've had a couple. I'm just, I'm just better around people. I'm looser. I'm not so uptight. It just helps me to be. Well, why don't you figure out how to be that way without it? I'm not condemning you. So if you see me come... <laughs> One time I, I, I was coming to church and I, I was coming up. Now, this is a long time ago, so don't any of you worry about this. But I was coming up in the church and, and I came up a sidewalk. I don't usually come up and there was a sister about to come in and she was smoking. And she had just taken a hit and she saw me. And she went, fing! And I'm telling you, that cigarette looked like a sparkler <laughs> flying off. And she couldn't say hi because it was in there. So she went, all I'm saying, if you see me, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not. And it was, that cigarette went 30 yards. I could not believe it. It went with such force. Now, all that I would submit is, if, if you do drink a lot, or drink some. Why? Well, I just like it. Okay, all right. That's fine. I'm not saying you can't do it, but you start abusing it ever, and you got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? I'm numbing pain. I would submit, if you never took another drink, you're, you're going to be just fine. Now, that's all I'm saying. I'm not going to condemn you, because the Word of God just says, watch out for drunkenness, but, you know, Okay, I'm going to leave it right there. Medication. <laughs> Medication. Why do people do drugs? They're hurting. Why are they out there smoking pot? They're hurting. Well, I'm having a good time. No, you're not. You're smoking pot. Why, why, why are you tarring up your lungs? You're hurting. Fantasy, escape, disengagement from circumstances or relationships in order to avoid pain and fear. And there's a lot of, lot of things we do to deal with our pain. But now, consequence. Others react to my defenses in a way that often reproduces the event and perpetuates the cycle. And there's a, I guess, a fancy philosophical or psychological word here, circular causality. I'll just call it what you sow, you reap. 
if you, if you are always moving in these different defense mechanisms because of your pain and you're not dealing with the root, it eventually comes back and bites you one way or another, usually in relationships. Now, many recognize the repeating destructive cycle, focus their efforts to solve the problem on the wrong components entirely. How can I change you so you will stop doing that to me? <laughs> so marriage counseling, it's always, if you would, if she would just change, and then she says, well, if he would just change, if you want to get your marriage healed, here's what you do. Work on you. Just you. So, well, but I'm not doing anything wrong. I rest my case. <laughs> Work on you. I feel like I'm in a psychology class here. I do. Now let's move on. Idolatry. What's the problem? Idolatry. An idol exists when I look to something or someone other than God for that which God alone should provide. Now I want you to catch that. Idolatry is when I make something else my answer other than God. So an idol can be anything. Who's my source of truth? That's a big one. When a stronghold exists, I've made the enemy my source of truth because I'm believing a lie, the lie that comprises the castle. What is my source of security and comfort? Do I go running off to a drink or a smoke or something I shouldn't look at or some person? What, 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 how am I dealing with this? Do, if I run off to something other than God for my security and comfort, then I've got a stronghold. That's powerful, isn't it? What's the solution? Repentance. Remember, we don't think of repentance as a mere change of behavior. Repentance also involves a change in how I perceive reality. One of the most fundamental changes in how I perceive reality involves changing my source of truth. Turn to a new source of truth, the scriptures. A new source of protection. Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. Jehovah Shalom, your peace. My relationship with Christ is my protection. Now let's do hearing God exercises and we're done. How do I, how do I tear down the lie? First, recognize what the lie is. You've got to recognize that your stronghold is rooted in a lie. Okay? So you've got to confess and receive forgiveness for believing that lie. Then you've got to renounce the lie. Forgive if forgiveness is necessary. If it has to do with being bitter against somebody else, you've got to forgive. Forgive if forgiveness is necessary, but renounce that lie. Embrace your new truth. Try renewing your mind. Renew your mind. So I confess the lie. I renounce the lie. I forsake the lie. I replace the lie with truth. And then I begin to act according to that truth and not the lie. So here you are. Let's say alcohol used to have a grip on you. And you're struggling with it now. All right? You go through a stressful day. You've been clean a year. You've been through a stressful day. And you're driving down the highway, and all of a sudden this thought hits you, man, I would love to have a drink. I just wish I could just have one drink. 
and then I would feel better. And after all, it's been a whole year. Here comes the lie. It's been a whole year since I touched it. I deserve that drink today. I've been through extra stress and God understands and it's just one drink and I'm not going to go all the way with it. And so you feel your hands pulling the steering wheel to that next exit where it's happy liquor or whatever it is. Happy this or that or the other. They all call it, call it the end of the road. Liquor stop. And you, you go in there and you go, I just want one little wine or one little, just give me a little something. And, and, you, you, and then you stop yourself. And you say, wait a minute. This is the lie that was destroying my life. I received the truth. The truth is, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And pray about everything, and when you prayed about it, the peace of God that passes all understanding is going to guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ, and it's going to do for you what you thought that drink would do, but that drink can't do, because you're going to come out of that drink one day, but the peace of God, you're not going to have to pay for it, and you're not going to have to pay for it. So, you, you get out of there, and you practice the truth instead of leaning on that idol. Believe and confess the truth. How do I tear down the defense? You look at how have I erroneously learned to protect myself from pain or to seek comfort. Confess and receive forgiveness for seeking comfort and truth from some other source. Renounce this defense and being your own defender, invite the Lord to be your defense. Ask God, Lord, would you show me a picture of what it would be like for you to protect me right now? Begin to practice this new way of receiving comfort and protection. You are reprogramming yourself. Strongholds don't develop overnight, and you don't come out of them overnight. You walked in, you're going to walk out. You went in by steps, you're coming out by steps. You got to retrain, erase, replace, retrain yourself to respond to difficult, negative, stressful stimuli differently. Strongholds and healing. Strongholds go all the way back to Genesis 3 when sin entered the world. Adam and Eve embraced that deception and turned to themselves as their own source. And our world became a broken place. Adam and Eve's sin opened the door to our world in sickness and disease. At an individual level, it's sometimes necessary to deal with a stronghold in order to effectively minister healing. Now we're coming to you, going to hospitals, being in a healing room, being down here in the altar, and a couple of other things I'm going to share with you in just a moment that we're going to be doing as a church. And sometimes the reason they're sick is a stronghold what we've talked about tonight. There's something between their two ears. They have believed a lie. And that lie is ruling from a castle in their mind. And for them to be healed, they're going to have to have that castle pulled down. So how do we as ministers know if we're dealing with a stronghold in somebody? Your well, first, your interaction with the person highlights an event, a lie, or a defense, comfort, mechanism that could be associated with the Ill illness. So you ask a question like this one. When did this problem start? Might lead in the direction that you need to go to discover a stronghold. 
When did this problem start? Spiritual discernment can help you target these kinds of issues. Present what you think you've heard as a question. Did I hear you say that you started having these physical problems when you were betrayed and you got angry and you didn't forgive? Did I hear you say that? Can I connect some dots for you? Don't press them because you are doing surgery on the soul. Give them an opportunity to hear God for themselves in order to find out if there's a stronghold issue. If you think you might have discerned a stronghold, present this as a question for God. So, Father, would you show John right now whether or not fear, or you might want to name another possible root issue, is at the root of this problem? I have insomnia. I can't sleep, and it's making me sick. I'm getting colds all the time. I can't sleep. And you go, when did this start? It started when I started being really fearful of cancer or rejection. And I, I started losing my ability to sleep. Now you're tracking down a fear stronghold. And that's what's behind the whole thing. This could lead to additional questions. Father, you're praying with them. When did this fear or other root issue gain access into their life? An event or season of life will come to mind. An event or a season in their life will come to mind. Father, when that happened, what was the lie that the enemy told them where he was able to build that castle in their mind? At this point, you're moving into the above exercises. Now here's ministry protocol. Keep in mind, you do not have to do the complete, you don't have to have everything happen the first time. They come into the healing room, you're not going to see them once, necessarily. I mean, some people are going to get healed and leave and that's it. But other people, you're dealing with deeper waters. How many of you are excited about praying with people who are sick and have needs? All right, now watch. Keep in mind, it doesn't have to happen the first time. You've got to be patient. Sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll just work through forgiveness. Sometimes you'll just work through a lie. Sometimes you might just work through a defense. I was ministering once, and there was this young lady who was tormented with fear. Tormented with fear. I'm telling you, it was ruining her life. She was, she was afraid of everything. And when I started praying with her, and she was sick as a dog. I'm talking about had every kind of sickness on her body. And when I began to ask her, uh, you know, what's the sickness, and, and how long has it been like this? And she began to bring up this fear issue. She would tremble when you were talking to her. She was afraid of everything. And I finally was able to ascertain that as a child, her, her father had beaten her and rejected her, locked her in a closet. And this stronghold got in. This castle, this lie is going to happen to you again. Somebody's going to do that to you again. You're not lovable. You're not likable. Somebody's going to do this to you again. You, it's just a matter of time before you're abused again. She was afraid of people. She was afraid of everything. The only way to get her physically healed was to deal with this fear in her soul. 
And I'm going to tell you, it took time. There were days I walked away thinking, she's never going to come out of this. But she did. She did. It took a while, but she did. And the last thing I heard about her, she was married, had kids, was happy. Glory to God. All right, now. Keep in mind that you can start with the event, the lie, or the defense. Don't press or manipulate. Don't attempt to take anyone past where you have permission. Never communicate that it's a formula. Explain. Sometimes issues in our soul, this is what you're saying to them. Sometimes issues in our soul like pain and fear or wrong thinking or ways we put walls up can make it hard to receive healing. Is it okay with you if we ask God if he wants to talk to you about anything like that? Will you let God talk to you about this? Here's closing thoughts. Tearing down strongholds is typically a process, not an instantaneous miracle. It has taken the person years to accumulate deceptive beliefs, erroneous thinking, and protective defense mechanisms. Therefore, the minister must be patient. Can everybody say with me, patient? If they take one baby step forward, you need to give God a great big shout. Okay? Long-suffering and be able to rejoice over even a minor victory. It may be that the person's gradual deliverance from a stronghold will coincide with a likewise gradual healing in their bodies. Each case will be different. That's it. Now, can we stand together? How many of you have ever had to walk through the healing of a stronghold like that? Have you ever? Oh, yeah. And it takes time, doesn't it? Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus was patient with you? Oh, man, I'll tell you. How many of you felt like, Lord, if I was you, I'd take me out right now. (laughs) Do you ever feel that way? But he doesn't do it, does he? Now, listen carefully because we're finished with eight weeks. And I want you to give yourselves a hand. Did you do that? Amen. What we're going to do is we're going to now, all the names are in a computer, and we're going to choose those who finish, as we said at the very beginning, six weeks or more. And now I have something up here that I'm going to show you that Valerie got ready for me. Uh, It's the healing form. You can see that? Okay. All right, they can't really... What you're going to do, let me read this to you. This this is really important. Don't forget that next Wednesday night you pick up your certificates if you finish six weeks or more. It's going to be very beautiful. It is suitable for framing. Listen, you went through some real teaching here. So, to be involved in any of the, the ministries we're about to show you, you have to have gone through Finding the Rock. You can't minister in the house without going through Finding the Rock. Now, the good news is, brand new Finding the Rock starts this Sunday at 1030. It's 10 weeks. If you finish at least, I think it's eight or seven, is it 